Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Well, if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Isaiah. The Old Testament book of Isaiah in Isaiah and chapter number 50. The book of Isaiah and chapter number 50. We are currently going, <laughs> having a very special message today dealing with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ to explain this wonderful day that we set aside to remember what he did for us. And so if you don't mind, let's look together. We're going to take some time to go to the gospel records and explore Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. But turn with me, if you don't mind, to the book of Isaiah and chapter number 50. Isaiah and chapter Number 50. Notice with me, if you don't mind, Isaiah chapter 50 and verse number 4. Isaiah 50 and verse number 4. The Bible says this, Isaiah 50 and verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He waketh my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened my ear. I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me. Therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint. And I know that I shall not be ashamed. He is near that justifieth me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that condemned me? Lo, they shall all wax old like a garment. The moth shall eat them up. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, notice a phrase that we find in the book of Isaiah in chapter number 50. The book of Isaiah in chapter number 50. And notice a very special phrase, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 50 in verse number 4, notice this expression, the tongue of the learned. The tongue of the learned. And with this, we're going to examine the seven sayings of Jesus Christ while he was dying on the cross. And we want to see this very special prophecy said of Jesus that he had the tongue of the learned. 
Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come to you now, we're just asking that you would give us grace, that you would give us mercy and understanding, that you would help us to understand this phrase of having the tongue of the learned, that we could see what Jesus suffered and died for us on our behalf, and the victory that he gave us when he rose from the grave. I'm asking that you would help us to understand and apply and draw closer to you because of you. And as we had talked about in Sunday school this morning, I'm praying for your power for you to do what only you can do. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you, I give you my thoughts, my ambitions, my goals, what I want to get accomplished, what I want to see done. I give that all to you and just ask that you do your own work and you get accomplished what you get want to get desired. I just set myself as your instrument for you to use as you see fit. Help us even now. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. This wonderful expression is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, as we read this, we can see that this is actually dealing with what is happening to Jesus while he was in the midst of his suffering and shame, while he's in the midst of dying. Now, if we could pause here, we know that Jesus Christ is our great example. But when we get hurting... When we become in pain, when we grow wearied, when we grow tired, the tongue of the learned is not what's usually associated with us. Normally, when we get tired, when we get hurt, we get grumpy. There's an expression that hurting people hurt people. And oftentimes, we think it, it gives us permission to speak awful to people. We think it gives us permission to mistreat people. We think it gives us permission to be miserable to be with when we're in pain, when we're suffering, when we're tired. But the Lord Jesus Christ is our example and shows us that we too can have this be said of us, the tongue of the learned. And to illustrate this, the Lord Jesus Christ, while he was in the midst of dying on the cross, the seven sayings that he said are a very interesting and powerful study because you don't see him wanting revenge on the people who did him wrong. He's not seeking to injure those who have made fun of him. He is not seeking to cause them misery, those who are making him miserable. In fact, let's kind of just look at this passage again. And then we're going to go to the seven sayings. But notice with me in verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Now notice not only did he have the tongue of the learned, but he said, I want to hear. Listen. As the learned, meaning I'm paying attention to what others, not just me. Oftentimes when we're hurting, it's not about others. It's all about me. Others are very secondary and very distant. Notice with me in verse 5, as it speaks specifically about the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. Meaning that God had given me what to do and I wasn't rebellious. I didn't shy away. I went and did what God gave me to do knowing the pain and suffering I'd go through. Illustration verse 6. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And with this, perhaps it would be good if we could describe 
medically what is happening to the Lord Jesus Christ as he heads to the cross. His night began before with the Last Supper, and during that time, one of his 12 disciples betrayed him and left. He took his other 11 and he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while there, he was there at the Garden of Gethsemane, he had asked his disciples to pray. He had uh, most of them stay in one pack. He brought Peter, James, and John with him and told them that they need to pray. Of course, they're not discerning how important this is. And he keeps finding them. Every time he turns, they're still sleeping. Again, could you imagine the discouragement you have knowing that you're about ready to face the worst pain of any human being who's ever lived and the people who are closest to you are more apathetic and sleeping and not discerning how important this is. Well, as Jesus prays, the Bible describes that a very interesting event happened. He sweat drops of blood. This is a very special medical condition that's called hematodrosis. Forgive me, I mispronounced that. But what happens is that with the degree of passion that he's praying, that the capillaries by the sweat glands actually burst. And the capillaries drip some of the blood into the sweat glands and he begins to sweat these great drops of blood. It's literal blood that's coming out. What's happening medically as this is occurring is that it is causing the skin to be very fragile and very easy to tear. It's becoming very sensitive as he's praying passionately and he's praying. He knows what he's about ready to face. He's turning to God and said, God, not my will, but thine will. I know I'm fixing to suffer pain. I know I'm fixing to suffer humiliation. Not my will, but thine will. And he is praying and he's praying fervently. They come and arrest him in the darkness of the hour. And as they arrest him, they drag him to an illegal trial. And we're not going to take the details to go through this illegal trial. But during this time, he's not given food and he's not given water. He has already lost some blood and lost some sweat in this fervent, passionate praying. But they put him in a legal trial where during this trial, they actually hire people to lie against him. The problem is, is that they had so many stories going on, they couldn't get the stories to match. And so they had to trump up a charge for him, and finally they pronounced him guilty. When they had this illegal trial, they had it in the morning, which was not when it was supposed to happen, or before sunrise. They only invited the people who were going to find Jesus guilty. They didn't invite everyone else. There were so many things illegal with this trial. Now, I don't know about you, but could you imagine being put in an illegal trial and knowing people are purposely lying against you? Would you feel like you would have the tongue of the learned? That you would have compassion on those around you when they're purposely saying awful things against you for you to be condemned to death? So they take the Lord Jesus Christ and as they pronounced him guilty, now they take him as the sun is rise and they bring him to the Roman government. Now, the Jewish people did not have the authority to carry out a death sentence. So what they had to do is they had to bring it to the Roman government. And the Roman government had the responsibility uh, to put people to death. And so they had to try to convince the Roman government that Jesus was worthy of death. Now the Jewish people had found Jesus guilty of blasphemy. That he claimed to be God. And by the way, he was God. However, that wasn't going to fly for the Roman government. So they lied and made up a different charge of sedition. Exclaiming that Jesus had made a plot to overthrow the Roman government. And so they take and examine him. As 
Pilate examines Jesus Christ. He finds that there's nothing wrong with him. He has done no, nothing wrong, nothing worthy of death. But he also understands that politics are being played and the Jewish people want Jesus to die. So Pilate decides he's going to attempt to save Jesus' life by torturing him. Now, Pilate had the desire, hoping that the people would see Jesus bleeding and that they would feel sorry for him and their bloodlust would be satisfied. So Pilate went to send Jesus to be scourged. Now the scourge was a cat of nine tails, a whip with nine lashes. And at the end of those lashes, it would have little hooks, little rocks, glass, something that would stick into the skin. The first century Josephus reported that when someone would get lashed upon with the... Um, cat of nine tails, that the hooks and the glass would actually catch inside of the body. And they would tear the body open so much that after one lash, you could take your finger and actually touch the bone of the person who was being scourged. The uh, third century historian Eusebius said, the sufferer's veins were laid bare. The very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. So after this scourging, they whipped him and they whipped him and they whipped him until his back looked like hamburger meat. It was just tore to shreds. He was bleeding profusely. Then what Pilate did is he put on a white robe and put it around Jesus' body. Now as they were ready to pronounce him, they didn't dry up the blood. The blood began to soak into the robe itself. Pilate brought Jesus to the people and said, do you want him still to die? Pronounced him. Now, what he was not, what he underestimated was the jealousy and the hatred that the Pharisees had against the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate was expecting when they saw this man who was beaten and bruised, when they saw his blood, that the people would say, that's enough. We don't want to see anyone suffer like that anymore. Please, that's enough. But instead, the Pharisees mixed in with the crowd and they started the chant, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Crucify Him! How breaking it was for Jesus. These same people, just several days before, were laying down palm trees and singing Hosanna to our King. These same people now had turned their back on Jesus Christ and were now saying, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Would you be able to have the tongue of the learned when the people have turned against you and are cheering for your death? When it found out that the people still demanded the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, Pilate turned Jesus over to the soldiers to do, to have their fun and mock. So what they did is they took a crown of thorns. These thorns were huge spikes. And they put it on Jesus' head and they hammered it into his head, driving it into his, the crown of his head. They took a rod and they began to beat him with it. They put him into a, a line of soldiers. And what they did is they took their fist. And as he went by, they just buffeted him on the face. His face was so swollen and so misfigured because of the treatment that the Bible describes that you couldn't even tell that he was a man anymore. For the Jewish man, their beard was a sign of status, a sign of prestige, a sign of honor. And so what they did is they didn't use scissors and they didn't use a razor. They used their hands and they just grabbed a hold of the beard and pulled it out with chunks of flesh falling right beside it. With that, 
Would you be able to have the tongue of the learned? Would you be able, while they're in the midst of torturing you, to still have a word fitly spoken in that time? Having the tongue of the learned. So they bring the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross. And as they bring him to the cross, the Romans used uh, little uh, huge nails. They looked like railroad tie spikes. They were five to seven inches long. And they drove them into the wrist. Back in the ancient world, this part of the hand, or wrist was considered part of the hand. And what happens is that in this, you have the median nerve, which runs all the way through. It is the most sensitive nerve in the body. Sometimes when you hit your elbow right, you'll say, I hit my funny bone, but it's nothing to laugh about when you hit it. This nerve right here is such a sensitive nerve that when they took this spike and they put it through his hand, it almost felt like a piece of pliers twisting and giving this electrical charge that would just go through your body as they nailed him to the cross. When someone was put up on the cross, they would put them naked. Now remember, he was already beaten and scourged. Most people who went to the cross were never scourged. They were just put up on the cross. But he was put up on the cross and his back is ripped open. When they pulled off that robe, it reopened those wounds, pulling up that, that um, flesh, the blood that had already been soaking in and starting to dry. They opened it up and his flesh was bleeding anew. As he was up on the cross, most people when they died on the cross, they died of asphyxiation, meaning they couldn't get enough oxygen. What would happen is that they would be put up on the cross, their chest cavity would be uh, folded over, and they could not breathe. Just to take a breath, they would have to use their arms and legs and to stretch up, take a breath, and they would go back down. As soon as he was put up on the cross and the cross was put, his arms would get out of joint. And so not only does he have his uh, wrist hurting, his arms out of joint. And just to pull yourself up, it would actually take the nail and squeeze and grind on those wrist bones and twist even more on that median nerve. Every time he would take a breath, his back would rub against the cross. The cross was not nice sanded wood. It looked more like a railroad um, <coughs> beam, just rugged, jagged. Every time he would take a breath, more of those splinters of the wood would drive deeper into his back. The Bible says that no man had suffered like this. In fact, the death of the cross, the pain is so indescribable that they actually came with a brand new word to try to describe it. The word excruciating. The word excruciating carries the idea out of the cross. It is so painful they had to come up with their own word. So as he's suffering, as people are spitting in his face, as they're mocking him, as they're laughing at him, as they're saying, he's said to be God to come down. In the midst of this, God said that he would have the tongue of the learned. Let's look together knowing the backdrop of what's going on with the Lord Jesus Christ. What are the words that is coming out of his mouth? When he's on the cross. Turn with me if you don't mind to the gospel record of Luke chapter 23. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23. Now again, we would imagine in our human minds, if we were suffering, if we were on the cross, we would be shouting out threats. We would be saying, we're going to get you. You're not going to get away with this. I hope you die. What type of words 
would you be saying if you were in that much pain? Well, Jesus Christ had the tongue of the learned. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23. And notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 32. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23. Notice with me verse 32. And there were also two others, malefactors, led with him to be put to death. Verse 33, Luke 23, 33. And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his garments and cast lots. The first saying we see recorded in chronology in the time of history. The very first thing that Jesus said as they put him up on the cross. His, his, elbow, or elbow, or sorry, his shoulders go out of joint. He is in pain. And the first thing he says is on the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Jesus Christ had the tongue of the learned. Again, if you're in pain, if you're hurting, is forgiveness your first option? Is it your first thing in mind? If somebody messes up when you're hurting, do you bite their heads off? Or do you show them grace? Do you want the best for them? Or do you lash out? Jesus Christ had the tongue of the learned. And the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, the very first thing he said while he was on the cross, is, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. As we go on, we could see something else that is said upon the cross. Turn with me to the gospel record of John chapter 19. The gospel record of John chapter 19. Again, we have four gospel records that give the account of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Each one of them give us more understanding of what is going on on the cross. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the gospel record of John chapter 19. The gospel record of John chapter 19, notice with me in verse 25. The gospel record of John chapter 19 in verse 25. I love to hear the pages of Scripture. I want you to see it for yourself. The gospel record of John chapter 19. Notice with me verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother. And his mother's sister Mary the wife of Cleophas. And Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother. And the disciple. This is going to be the disciple John the apostle. Standing by whom he loved. He saith unto his mother. Woman. Behold thy son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. Here's Jesus Christ who is suffering. He's abandoned. He's in pain. And his second thought, his second examination, his second saying, is he wanted to make sure his mother was going to be taken care of when he passed. He looks at his disciple John who he loved. And he looked at his mother and he pretty much said, Mom, I want John to take care of you. John, I want you to take care of mom. Again, normally when we're in pain, we're so selfish and we can just see our own pain and our own suffering and our own hurt. But here Jesus Christ, while he's in the midst of excruciating pain, he still has enough sense, the tongue of the learned, he wants to make sure his mother is going to be taken care of. He's concerned for others. 
and not just his own pain, his own suffering. The tongue of the learned. He first asks, Father, forgive them. The second thing is concern for his mother to make sure his mother is taken care of. We see something else mentioned as we look at verse number 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture may be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now, this is very important because this medically shows what is happening. Jesus is not beyond the suffering. He's not um, divorced from it. He is feeling every bit of it. When he says, I thirst, this is very significant. Now, remember... Earlier before, the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane, he begins to pray so fervently, so heated, that big drops of blood have mixed with his sweat. He hasn't had anything to eat, hasn't had anything to drink. And then he is scourged. When he is scourged, the blood begins to pour out. They put a robe over it and it begins to coagulate. And they pull the robe off. And once again, the wound is opened up. Now at this time, something medically happening is called hypo. Volemic shock. The word hypo means low. Vol means volume. And emic carries the idea of blood. It is basically low blood. Low volume of blood. This loss of blood in large amounts does four things. The heart begins to race, trying to pump blood that isn't there. And it's trying to pump harder to get what little blood to go. The blood pressure then drops, which causes fainting or collapse. The kidneys stop producing urine just to start trying to maintain what little volume it has. And the person becomes very thirsty as the body is craving fluids to replace what is lost. And so as he says, I thirst, it's acknowledgement of that his body is suffering. And so again, this is important that we're, we can't say, well, Jesus is God and he didn't feel every, anything. He felt everything. His body is responding to the torture, the excruciating pain he's gone through. And there is an acknowledgement that he is suffering. Notice if we don't mind, we go to the gospel record of Luke 23 again. And we could see some more of this account of the seven sayings of Jesus while he's on the cross. The first is forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. The second one is to show concern and to make sure that while he's being tortured, he knows he's going to die. He's making sure his mother is taken care of. The third is just a... Natural expression. His body is suffering. He is thirsting. He is losing blood. He is starting to suffer. His body is going through changes. And then we come to the gospel record of Luke 23. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23. And we see something else. Notice with me starting at verse number 39. The gospel record of Luke 23 and verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him. This idea carries the idea that they made fun of him. What is he making fun of him? Saying, if thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. So the one thief on the cross begins to say, listen, you claim to be God. Get off the cross. Take us with us. Show that you have power. Come. And he's doing it with the idea that he's mocking him. I thought you said you were God. Prove it. Show your power. Why are you on the cross if you're truly God? Now, earlier, the other thief had also been making fun of him. The gospel record of Mark chapter 5 and verse 23 explains that. that both of them were making fun of him. But this second thief had a change of heart. Notice with me in Luke 23 and verse number 40. But the other 
answering rebuked him saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he, that second thief, said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Here's Jesus Christ in the midst of suffering, in the midst of excruciating pain. And the one thief basically says, Lord, will you forgive me and take me with you to paradise? Will you take me with me when you die? And Jesus, in the midst of his pain, was willing to bring salvation to someone else while he was hurting. Now, normally we have a whole hard time telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ when we're feeling good. Here's someone who is hurting and in pain and yet is still concerned for people's souls and wants them to have their souls forgiven, their sins forgiven, and God's willing to forgive everyone if they would just receive his promise. And he cared enough for people that in the midst while he was dying, he still wanted people to go to heaven and still willing to offer them forgiveness. How about you when you're hurting? Do you have the tongue of the learned? Are you concerned for others? Or do you just want them to acknowledge how bad you're hurting? What else do we see in this time here? What do we see? Notice way back with me in the gospel record of John chapter 19. The gospel record of John chapter 19. As we turn back to the gospel record of John chapter 19. We could see another saying of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already... Asked God to forgive the people of their sins. The ones who killed him. The ones who murdered. The ones who spit in his face. The ones who whipped him. The ones who cheered for him to die. He wanted them forgiven. He made sure that his mother was taken care of. He acknowledged that he was in pain. He wasn't ignoring it. He was not divorced from it. But he was in pain. He also cared enough that he forgave someone else in the midst of his pain. And as we go on, we can see in verse number 19, or chapter 19, verse 29. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled it with a sponge with vinegar to put it upon hyssop, to put it on his mouth. Now, he's thirsty. Vinegar is not going to satisfy the thirst. This is, again, something else that they're doing more of a torture. Verse 30, when Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. We're going to cover one more saying here. But what happened? What is the cause of death? What is going on? Well, normally, as I said, most people who die on the cross died of asphyxiation. It would take three days normally for someone to die on the cross because they would get to the place where they didn't have enough strength to take that breath. And carbon dioxide would start to fill inside of the body and begin to poison the body. However, because the Lord Jesus Christ had already suffered, because he'd already lost so much blood, because there were so many things going on, his... his uh, 
he begins to have respiratory acidosis. The person begins to slow down the breathing. The carbon dioxide inside of the blood begins to turn into carbonic acid. This starts to lead to a irregular heartbeat. Now as the heartbeat is still trying to beat because of the hypovolemic shock, what happens is that your heart has a smooth muscle that surrounds it. It's called the periocardial sac. And it's a smooth muscle meant to ease the friction when the heart starts beating. So what happens is that it begins to swell up a little bit with fluids, trying to ease the burden. But what happens, it begins to fill up so much that it squeezes on the heart. Now the heart's having a harder time of beating as that sac is filling up more. This collection of fluid in the membrane begins to be called a periocardial infusion until finally the heart is not able to beat anymore. What was the official diagnosis of his death? He died of a broken heart. He died because his heart gave out to pay for your sins and to pay for mine upon the cross. So when he said it was finished, he did what he was meant to do. He came on this earth for one purpose, to die for your sins and to die for mine. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says, for there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. When Jesus Christ died for us, he paid the price, the wage that you and I owed him. What's even worse is that what he died on the cross, the pain that he felt on the cross, is what you and I owe for one sin. And you and I have done much more than one sin. When he said it was finished, that redemptive work was complete. He had finished that payment. That he paid for you. And he paid for me. There's one more saying that the Bible records. About Jesus saying on the cross. Turn back with me to the gospel record of Luke chapter 23. The gospel record of Luke in chapter 23. We see one more statement. The worst thing that happened. While Jesus was on the cross. Is that Jesus Christ. That the Lord turned his back. On the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel record of Matthew records that one saying. Lord why hast thou forsaken me. Part of the wage that we owe God. Is not just death. But it is separation from God for all eternity. And in order for Jesus to pay that payment that you and I made. The Lord Jesus Christ also had to suffer that. And so for that moment of time. That God the Father separated himself from God the Son. Turned his back. And he felt what it was like. To have God removed from him. That is the payment that you and I owe. We deserve to be separated for God for all eternity because of our sin. And Jesus paid that price for us. The gospel record of Luke chapter 23, and we see this last saying. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number uh, 46. Uh, verse 45 for context sake. And the sun was darkened and the veil of the temple was rent in the mist. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into my hands 
I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. Now this last statement was a statement of faith. That is, he gave up his ghost, the ghost. He died. He willingly gave his life. No man took his life. He willingly gave it. Jesus died on the cross with the expectation that it was not over and done with. Jesus' body was buried on a borrowed tomb. But on the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ arose again. And he had trusted God that I'm going to rise again. Why? What is the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Why is it so important? Well, the resurrection of Jesus Christ proves two things. First of all, it proves that Jesus indeed was God. The second thing that it proved is that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made. It is the receipt and so the Bible says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection of Jesus Christ tells us that we can accept that free gift, that Jesus paid it all, and that it was enough, that God is satisfied, and that we don't have to pay our own sin debt anymore. Jesus already paid it, but each of us have to be willing to accept that free gift for ourselves. We have to come to a time and a place where we personally ask God for that gift, receive that gift, and God promised He would give it to us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, dear friend, if you do not know for sure, you don't know 100% sure, you can't show me from the Bible that you're going to heaven, that you're forgiven of your sins, let me tell you some good news. It would be my privilege to take the Bible and to show you without, how you can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. The greatest thing that you could have today is to receive the gift of God for yourself. That you can know that you've been forgiven of all of your sins because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And I want to give you that invitation. It would be my privilege. I don't want anyone to walk out of this building without knowing without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. Jesus paid your price and it is done. It is finished it is over. God has already paid the price. You can accept that gift for yourself. But for those of you who do know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, may I turn back to the book of Isaiah chapter 50 where we started. And I want to examine that prophecy one more time. This prophecy of the tongue of the learned. Now again, we see that Jesus Christ suffered like no man. He was beaten so bad that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. They invented a brand new word for those who died on the cross to explain the, the suffering called excruciating. And in the middle of that, he had the tongue of the learned. Notice with me Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. And notice with me in verse number 4. Isaiah 50 and verse 4. The Lord hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Do you know one of our greatest opportunities to witness about how great God is, is when we're in pain, when we're hurting, when we're suffering? It is during those times that we could use our words to pronounce faith that God is still good and that God is still right. And it is during that time that people get to see that there is something different. That our God is real. And just because you're hurting doesn't mean you have to be grumpy about it. 
You know, people watch our lives. The people who work with us, the people who live with us, see the things that we go through. And even though it's understandable and nodded at when we're grumpy and bears and hard to be around, there's something different when people know that we're hurting and we're still able to say that God is still good. That God is still right. That God is on the throne. That God knows what he's doing. There's something about that that draws people closer. The Bible says that there is life and death in the power of the tongue. That with our tongue, we either draw people closer to the Lord or we push them further away. That is, we have faith and trust in God. I understand that pain is something that we go through. This world is full of suffering. There is no magical promise that says that when you become a Christian, that everything turns dandy. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. But it is in the midst of that, when you learn to trust in God, you know you're forgiven of your sins, and you know that God is on the throne and you could trust Him. There's something different even about how you speak to people that could draw them closer to the Lord, that shows that our God is real. This is that tongue of the learned. And this isn't just left for Jesus. He's our example. But this is something that God can give us as well. Once again, in chapter 50, verse 4, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning. He wakeneth my ear to hear as the learned. Dear friend, as we finish this up, let me ask you first of all, are you 100% sure if something was to happen to you? Are you 100% sure without a doubt from the Bible that your sins are forgiven? That you have God's promise of going to heaven with him? If not, let me tell you the greatest thing that could happen is for you to get that settled. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And there's nothing magical about the altars. But I want to invite you to come. Just get my attention and it would be my privilege. We have other people who are available as well. And we would take the Bible and show you from the Bible how you could have it secured and nailed down. You can know without a doubt that your sins are forgiven. But for those of you who are saved, how are you when you're hurting? You know, you don't have to be grumpy about it. I know many of you are going through things now, whether it's physical, whether it's financial, whether it's family. Some of you have real pains and real hurts. But it's at this time that God can give us a grace that goes beyond ourselves, that we could witness to others and be concerned for others and show that there's a difference in how we suffer compared to how everyone else suffers. Do you have the tongue of the learned? If not, maybe you as a Christian want to come and say, Lord, that's what I need. I know that I'm a miserable person to be around. Help me not to be that miserable person. Help me not to hurt people when I'm hurting. Help me to be a place that even though I'm hurting, I can still point people to you. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time 
to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.